you go back into the Old Testament and you look at the priests and how they took the blood and they went into the Holy of Holies, right? And they put the blood on the, on the mercy seat. You've got all these pieces of furniture, but you're going to find one piece of furniture that is not in that place. Do you know what that one piece of furniture is? There's a table, there's candlesticks, there's a lot of stuff in there, but there's one thing that's not in there. There's not a chair in there. Do you know why there's not a chair in there? It tells you in Hebrews that the work wasn't finished. None of the work was finished. They had to offer that sacrifice year after year. It's what it says in Hebrews. Year after year, they had to go in, offer the sacrifice, offer the sacrifice. But our Savior, Jesus Christ, when he hung on the cross, one time he stretched out his arms and he shed his holy blood and he said, it is finished. And then what did he do? He ascended to the Father. And what did he do, church? He sat down. That's right. He sat down. Hallelujah. Woo. And then he said, come on, sweetheart. Sit down with me. And we picture ourselves sitting beside him. But, beloved, it says we went in him. We are seated in him. We are seated in him. We are seated in him. And our work is finished. We have entered into our divine rest. He is our Sabbath. Amen. Hallelujah. Give him praise. Woo. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. God, you are so amazing. You are so amazing. You're so amazing. Oh, that's who we are, beloved church. That's who we are. I wanted to share a little bit of my testimony. Now, you guys like testimony. It says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, right? And I, 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 I believe because I'm a woman in ministry, I've been in ministry for a little over 25 years, um, that there's some of you that's going to be touched, I think, and, and, and maybe God's going to speak to you a little bit about something in your own life. I, I pray, anyway. Um, I, I, let's start back with when I was a child. I was born... A um, long, long, long time ago. <laughs> People ask me, how old are you? I am eternal. <laughs> and so I'm just a baby. <laughs> Hallelujah. Um, I was, my mom had me when she was just a, a junior in high school. And my dad left. And so my mom, we were, this, my, my whole family is Pentecostal. And so when this happened, there was a lot of shame on the family. Back back long time ago when I was born, there was a, there was a lot of shame involved in that. And uh, I, my mom told me that after she had me, she went back to the principal of the high school and asked, could I please come back to school? And he really struggled with letting her do that, a woman like that, you know, to come back to school. But, but they, but they finally let her come, and she graduated, and I was two years old running around at her graduation. But my mom went away and uh, left me with my grandparents. My grandparents adopted me, older Pentecostal, Church of God, Church of God, raised me out in the country by myself, and, um, and that was really amazing. I was protected, had a great uh, upbringing. Um, the only thing is about, you know, the old-time Pentecostals, we've kind of grown out of that, but that was like, don't touch your hair, don't wear makeup, don't wear pants, you know, don't even wear red, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, 
I mean, it was all just like, and I was all afraid of God. I loved God. I mean, from the, from the time, my earliest memories, I loved God. But I was afraid of him. Any of you ever had that? You're kind of afraid? I'm afraid of God. He's going to smack me. Um, and, and it was a little bit like my grandfather. He was stoic, you know, and um, good man. But he was stoic. And never, never showed me any kind of affection, you know, but he worked hard. That's how he showed you his affection. But anyway, I, 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 I grew up, and, but when I was eight years old, um, I, God called me into ministry. I was out in the backyard shooting basketball hoops by myself, and I literally felt the wind of God and the dust blow up around me. And I dropped the basketball, and I knew that this was, this was supernatural, even though I never had a supernatural experience. I never heard the word the Lord speak to me before. He said, when you grow up, you're going to work for me. <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to be a pastor's wife. <laughs> That's all I could think about, my worldview, right? Well, you know, as I, as I got older, and I, that, that call always was before me. People can do these things, but you can't. I have the call of God in my life. I knew that, even though I was an ordinary kid, wanting to do ordinary stuff. I was aware that there were some things that I couldn't do. Um, but then um, as I got into my age where I could go into the ministry, that was in the 80s. And uh, if you know the statistics back then in Pentecostal churches and holiness churches, whatever, there was about not hardly any women pastors at that time. I mean, that was just not a good season for women in ministry. And so the Lord led me to go into health care. And so I, I, I got my degree in healthcare, and I, I was a respiratory therapist and then trained into echocardiography, and then I got my bachelor's degree, my MBA, and became the director of cardiology and developed actually a couple of cardiology programs and, and uh, was in that for, for 15 years. And that was, my, that was my ministry. That was my ministry. I did that as unto the Lord. Faithful to the nth degree that I knew how to be in the little things because I knew that God paid attention to the little things. And I felt like Joseph in the prison. Even though I had a great job, I loved my job, I knew that the call of God was there and I kept wondering when was God going to release me into ministry. And... I don't believe I would be standing here today if I had not been faithful. That's for somebody in this room. I had to be faithful. If you feel like the call of God is on you, be faithful where God has you. Be faithful. And he, he who is faithful will be faithful to you. But anyway, here I am, Director of Cardiology. I've married my wonderful husband and um, making a good salary. And they decide that in the mid-1990s that they're going to re-engineer our hospital. We're going to downsize. And by God's wonderful grace, I was one that was downsized out. Out of five directors, I, my position was one. And that was by God's design because if I went home and I said to my husband, I think God's calling us into full-time ministry, I'm going to quit my job. <laughs> That's the only way it could have happened, folks. And so when I walked out of that hospital, the Lord said to me, from now on, you're going to do heart surgery for me. Amen, amen. And you know what the first thing he had me do? 
That was, that was at the time of the Brownsville Revival. How many of you ever had an opportunity to go to the Brownsville Revival? Oh, my gosh. That was such an amazing season. Such an amazing season. Have anybody of you ever experienced revival? Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow, wow. I've had people say, Pastor, what, what is revival? What is revival? It's like divine resuscitation. You know, it's, it's like uh, if you've ever been in the ER and somebody flatlines, and they're not quite dead yet. It's kind of like that. What is that? Uh, is it not? What was that? Jo Billy Crystal uh, in the, the what's the? Yeah, mostly dead, but not quite dead. Mostly dead. That's right. You're you are you're not you're clinically dead, but you're not dead dead. Yeah. That, and then whenever the spirit comes on you and whew, you stand up and you're like, you know, the valley of dry bones all of a sudden comes alive and you're a mighty army. That would be an example of revival. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the Brownsville Revival really touched my life. And we went down. I was in seminary at that time. And uh, they said there is a revival down in Brownsville. And we're going to have a class called Contemporary Revival in America. And they put in a VCR for us to watch in the and I tell you, that little Allison Ward, and you've seen the video, and she's just up there shaking. Jesus is coming soon. You need to get ready. And the power of the Spirit was on her so strong that it came through. And every one of us students, we just hit the floor and we just sobbed. And I'm like, oh, God, I've got to sign up. I signed up for that class, and we got on a big bus. Bernice and I drove, drove down, and we're, we're in this revival and because we were a bunch of seminary students, they put us in the, the choir area where they practiced. And I'm standing there with my back to the door talking to another student. And Steve Hill, the, the evangelist for the revival, and, and Kilpatrick, who's the pastor, walked by me, didn't know they were coming, didn't know they were there. As they walked by, the power of God hit me and it threw me over the, the row in front of me. And I'm, I landed there and I'm like, my. I've never experienced, I grew up in Pentecost. I never felt anything like that before. And then, then we got out into the main sanctuary and the pastor reached out and he grabbed my hand and he said, feel this with me. Now, do you ever as a little girl walk into a current of river, you know, river and it just, you know, you hit, feel, and it kind of knocks you off your feet? That's exactly what happened to me. I stepped into that river and it knocked me sideways like this right off of my feet. And again, I'd never experienced anything like that. I was, I mean, I was hooked. God was good, but that was good. You know what I mean? That was amazing. And so I, on the way home, the Lord said to me, I want you to go into your walk-in closet and I want you to seek me for the price of the anointing don't come out until I tell you. I didn't know when he sent me in that it was going to take me six months. I literally, I put a mat in the floor, a pillow. I started to take my boom box so I could listen to some music. He said, here, this is your Bible and a journal. And I went into that walk-in closet and I began to seek the Lord. And he said to me, read the go four gospels four times in four versions. And I began to read, and Jesus came alive inside of me. 
to the point that I felt like I was bouncing off the walls of my closet screaming, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive. He stood up inside of me. He is the living word. We've got to get back to the Gospels, people. We've got to get back to the Gospels. We have created a Christianity through the eyes of Paul, and it's time that we get back to Jesus. Back to his ministry. His ministry is getting people saved, getting people delivered from their demons. I mean, that's what his, a third of his ministry was deliverance. We need to get back to that, setting people free, healing the sick. That's the ministry that we're supposed to have. And anyway, I'm in that closet. I'm seeking the Lord. I, by the way, after I got out of that closet, he let me go into a bedroom for another six months, and he let me have a bed in a chair. That was amazing. After laying on the floor for six months. By the way, we went through Christmas, Thanksgiving and Christmas. My son thought I was crazy. He was angry. We always have Thanksgiving dinner. No Christmas tree, no lights. Mom's gone crazy. She's in the closet. My husband comes in on Christmas Eve with a candle, sits down with me in the closet, and we sing, Silent Night. <laughs> that was the day he's working in heaven. Great harmony. <laughs> this is the point that I want to get to right here. I'd never read anything about deliverance at that point or intervening. God had some work to do inside of me. He took me into this really dark place. It was black. I can't see anything. And I said, God, where am I? And he said, you're in your mother's womb. He said, I'm in my mama's womb. And I could hear my mom and dad fighting outside. And he said, Knowing what you're going to go through in life, would you be willing to choose life? And I chose life. And I was born again. Again. Literally, that's all the way I can describe it. I came out a brand new creature. And then he began to take me through each year of my life. You know, I thought it was normal to, you know, when you clean the house, to make the beds and do all this kind of stuff, for all these things to be running around in your head about your childhood. Thinking about this and thinking about that and this and that, somebody laughed at you, somebody told you, you know, whatever, and made fun of you and you felt embarrassed or whatever. I thought that was normal because that's what was always running around in my head. He took me back to infancy and walked me through my early years. Now, I, I was never sexually abused, but I know that one in four women, at least one in four women, are sexually abused at most times. So my, my experience is not even as dramatic as many of you you have. I was tender, and there was this, somebody, a little boy would make fun of me, and it was overwhelming to me, and he had me forgive that person, forgive them, and then ask God to forgive me 
for my sinful reaction because I held on to that for all those years unknowingly. I didn't know it. It's just a thought running around in my head. Forgive that person. And then ask God to bless that person. He even had me forgive myself. Because if you understand anything about adoption, people who are go through adoption or they experience rejection, abandonment. And those spirits of rejection and abandonment invite other things like self-rejection, performance orientation, trying to be good. I tried to, I was the, one of those little girls that I tried to be so good. And usually there's two ends of the spectrum for something like that. They try to be really good and they're performance oriented or it's the other end. They say, forget it, I'm going to go do my own thing and they rebel and they become something those are both responses to rejection and abandonment. And mine was performance orientation. I want to please everybody. A man-pleasing spirit. A man-pleasing spirit has a hard time pleasing God. But my, the Lord showed me, you ever seen one of those gra- like grass ropes that's you know wrapped around and it, then the ends are frayed out? Seen that? As the Lord walked me through every year of my life, and I forgave, and asked God to forgive me, and I blessed, I even had to ask, I even had to forgive God. Sometimes we have ought against God, and we've got to ask God, I'm sorry, God, would you please forgive me? I've, I've had this against me. As I went through that process, he's, I saw that rope. And he began to braid that rope back together again. I didn't realize that I was splintered. I was frayed. I was splintered. And he began to braid my life back together again. And I felt things come up. I felt things leave me. I felt things come off of me. Oh, my people. I didn't know that you could be so free. And the key to freedom. Jesus told a parable. He said there was a man who owed his master a million dollars. And that man fell down at the master's knees and said, please forgive me. Please don't, because he was going to throw him and his family and his children, sell them into slavery. And the man begged. And God, and Jesus said, that man was kind enough to forgive him. And then that same man who just owed, went out and he had another friend who was a person who owed him $50. He demanded that money back. And Jesus said, that man, he said, I, I'm going to put you in prison. There are tormentors that will hold on to you and lock you up if you don't forgive. He says he turned them over to the tormentors. Beloved, all of those thoughts that are running around in your head, those are tormenting thoughts. They have you in bondage. They cause you to be frayed and not be whole. But oh my, when you forgive, 
Maybe there's some of you who've got areas of unforgiveness and you're like, man, they don't deserve to be forgiven. They did that to me and it was really bad. As a matter of fact, I felt like I had a word of knowledge on the way here. There was somebody that has been a victim of favoritism. God saw that. He hates it. days if somebody killed somebody else you know what they would do with that corpse they'd put it on the back of that murderer and they'd have to wear that corpse until it decayed and ate into that person and it killed that person that was capital punishment and carrying around unforgiveness it's like carrying a corpse around on your body heard other people say it's like you drinking poison and expecting another person to die. I believe God wants to set some of you so free. And I think this model that I just gave you is a model that he wants you to take home and maybe go to your closet or to your place where you sit and you commune with the Lord. God brought faces to me situations to me and there were just little things people I'm not telling you I, I had a I had a fairly decent upbringing some of you have some horrific things that you've gone through it's fractured you and oh God is asking you tonight will you receive his healing in that area of your life will you let go of one thing that's on your heart for each person in this place. That person that lied. That person that stole from you. That person that cursed them. That abused them. Thank you. 
would you put that person right there in your hand and just look at that situation and just before you and the Lord just say, God, I choose to forgive and forgive for you. I choose to forgive this person. I'm going to say their name. I choose to forgive them for whatever they did. I forgive you. give this to you. Now I ask you to heal me in that spot in my heart that has been wounded. Let you heal me. Let you heal me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
other stuff can come in at the same time. And the Lord wants to let you know that that guilt and that shame is not yours. I was sitting at a conference one time, something like this, and they were talking about shame. And I literally felt and heard something hit to the ground. And I turned around and looked to see what it was. I didn't see anything. And I said, Lord, what was that? And he said, that was shame. He said, but it wasn't your shame. It was your mama's shame that was put on you. And beloved, there's people that are, you are out there and you have shame. And God wants you to know it's not your shame. It's not your guilt that we need to let that go.
have some freedom fighters in here. Look at you. Thank you, Jesus. Help me feel like God did something in your life tonight. Can you give him a great big hand? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. sister will be back tomorrow night to minister again and then Sunday morning she will be ministering in our Sunday service so if you don't have a church home come back hey yeah you're welcome here people love if you, you if you do have a church home you're welcome anytime we come in and out of the doors because we're all part of God's family other pastors here. Stand up if you want to. This is another pastor in the house. An associate pastor. Associate pastor. Oh wow. Pastor of another church. Oh yeah. talking to this young lady here. She said she's had over 40 years and she's been getting full time ministry. Yes, Jesus. We honor you for the work you're making here. 57 years, but who's counting, right? Amazing. Yeah, okay. She's eternal. Amen. Eternal. Yeah. So I just pray tonight a sweet, sweet sleep over Nice to have him play in the background. Thank you. Hallelujah. <laughs>